presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast, uh, overcoming our biggest challenge ever in over 100 episodes as we come to you from around the world. Uh, from Tokyo, I'm Darren Millard covering the uh, 2020 Olympics, and in Edmonton is David Hutchison, and Lower Mainland, say hello to Kevin Woodley. Gentlemen, uh, Wi-Fi has made us a global enterprise. Congratulations on uh, um, becoming a worldwide phenomenon, Woody. I'm just happy that uh, we don't actually show the video of this on YouTube because it's a little early here on the West Coast to get us all together, and uh, I'm not a morning person. Neither evidently is my hair. At least you have some. Uh, Hutch, you have a one hour of an advantage over Woody, and you look spectacular. Oh, I'm feeling absolutely refreshed here in Edmonton. It's uh, six o'clock in the morning, and uh, I have no hair, so I don't have to look like Woody. Hey, it's um, in goal 1.1 started during the Olympics, winter version, 2010. And uh, now here we continue with you over in Tokyo at the Summer Games. This is kind of fun, boys. Whereas uh, 16 hours... Uh, difference from uh, the uh, Pacific time zone. So it's 10 o'clock at at the evening uh, here in Tokyo where there's a lockdown and uh, there's not much happening in and around the Olympic City. But uh, looking forward to the start of the games in a week. And I must uh, tell you that not only are we global, but we are going floor wide at uh, my hotel because there's a bit of a sound draft that occurs in uh, in my hotel where I can hear everything. And I assume that everybody else can hear everything. So I just want to uh, welcome everybody on the 11th floor of my hotel to In Goal Radio, the podcast. They're only getting my half of it, but uh, but I hope they enjoy the, the, the broadcast. You should probably give them the relevant website so they can uh, check that out as well, Darren. <laughs> Ingoalmag.com. That's I-N-G-O-A-L, uh, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Uh, let's, uh, let's get into it. Uh, the nuts and bolts of, uh, what's happening. I want to ask about the hotel room because I mean, everything we know that they managed to squeeze things into smaller spaces in Japan. It's all about sort of, you know, managing space. Um, have you like, I'm looking behind you, Darren, and like this, this, we're talking about a glorified closet. Um, shoebox, shoebox. If you were to put Sensorina on and try it in that hotel room and make a blocker save, are you going to end up in your neighbor's bedroom with your fist? Can you go post to post? Can you go post to post? Is does a goal post Uh, fit? It it does not. uh, But I here's what happened. I set it up, but I had to flip my bed on its side. Come on. To have enough floor space to be able to uh, to move around appropriately. Another so photo we I need, did. Darren. Another photo yeah. we need. <laughs> just hey, just be happy they didn't give you the Olympic Village bed, which evidently are for the athletes is made out of cardboard, so they can't do anything nasty on there because it just collapses with motion. Because then your bed would have totally collapsed, and you would have been like trying to you know like explain this to the concierge. Mm-hmm. I was just trying Good to point. stop pucks. <laughs> I was making a windmill glove safe. Uh, yeah, there, there's no nastiness going on here. I, I could use one of those cardboard beds for four years. It's, it, it would be fully intact. Uh, trust me on that one. Uh, we, we've got a lot going on uh, from uh, movement expected of the National Hockey League in the next uh, week leading up to the expansion draft and the NHL draft, entry draft. 
Uh, used to be called the amateur draft. Used to be called the entry draft. Now it's just called the a- NHL draft. But uh, the uh, expansion draft with Seattle coming into play is uh, requiring a, a lot of movement. Uh, let's uh, just take a look at uh, what could possibly occur over the next uh, couple of weeks as we head into the transition to next season. Uh, Woody, there is all kinds of uh, available talent on expiring contracts and potential moves, uh, guys that uh, do have deals. I remember last summer we saw all the movement and all the names of UFAs and sort of as that started to wind down, I took a look at the list for the following summer and I remember sort of saying like if if I'm one of these teams that has uncertainty last summer, I wouldn't go for term because the list was so spectacular this summer. This is, I'm pretty confident saying, going to be like unprecedented historic amounts of movement, the greatest game of goaltending musical chairs we have ever seen. And it's not so much a game if you're in it. There are guys nervous about not getting a seat. You got like over 20 established NHLers hitting unrestricted free agency. You got big names. The rumor mill is churning them out from Darcy Kemper in Arizona to Marc-Andre Fleury, the trophy winner, or Robin Lehner in Vegas as possible guys getting moved out just because of the cap situation there. Uh, Braden Holtby looks like he's on the move, whether it's through expansion and a sweetener or even a trade. Like There is just unprecedented, as I said, amounts of movement expected in the next couple of weeks. It is going to be spectacular for us, but I kind of feel for the guys a little bit. Um, we've seen a couple of names. Like If you're in that fringe 2-3 guy, um, you take a deal overseas. Uh, we saw you know, a guy like Oscar Dance, who I think a lot of people see as a three who can play up in, into a backup. He's already signed in the KHL. He wants no part of this game of musical chairs. And like I said, there are guys I know that worry about it ending, the music stopping, and they don't have a seat. How many teams do you think could legitimately have movement in goal? And like, give me a, a rough answer because I've gone through it and and use the old finger uh, test and and I was on to like the third goal round because there's just that many question marks and because it's not just expiring contracts and it's not just the expansion draft it's teams trying to clear cap space it it brings so many different organizations into play that I was up above 22 and that is extraordinary uh it doesn't have to be a frontline uh your starter but there's there's 22 teams or more that I could see, uh, Hutch, that could have some kind of adjustment with their goaltending. I'm not surprised by that number. Uh, as you go down the list of the free agents, it, it pretty much has to happen. And then I think, obviously, we had a, a number of teams that uh, ended their seasons with question marks and goal, whether that's internally or whether that's pressure from the fan bases. Uh, looking at you, Toronto, because I know there's a lot of people pushing for uh, them to move on from Freddie Anderson, although we know they're still considering a return there. Darren, I think it'd be easier just to do that list on uh, probably one hand of teams that won't be be changing. Well, I think we have to, I think as Woody meant, this is tough on the goaltenders. I mean, this is a really exciting time for fans and for for us as well, but you got to remember the uh, the guys involved here and their families. I mean, this is this is going to be a tough time for everybody, both in terms of do I get a job, but uh, it's going to be uprooting a whole lot of people as they move around North America this year. I did the finger test, Aaron, and uh, I counted 23, but I included Seattle. 
So I think you were bang on with with 22 if you didn't count the crack and uh, rounding out their roster. That's uh, you know, and, and do we see do we see some retirements out of this guys? Like oh, um, Craig, Craig, yeah, Craig Anderson stuck around this year. Um, will he get another opportunity next year? Like it, it's going to be it's 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 like I said, fascinating to watch. Um, you know, but I don't take a ton of pleasure in it as such said, because uh, these are lives of guys as well. So I'm really curious to see how this all rolls out. What do we hear about Henrik Lundqvist? Oh, that would go be, there. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. He was on the ice running a kids camp in Sweden this week, which was really cool to see. Saw some photos of that uh, from our friend Goalie Gear Nerd, had it on his account. Um, and just I was just happy to see him on the ice. So, uh, But we haven't had an update yet, so... I, who knows which way that one goes? Has goaltending become somewhat disposable? I think a lot of is people it, think I, it is, and I think, yeah, I think they're a little bit wrong. Which surprised me, given given the like, look at the the guys that made the final four uh, this year, led their teams uh, to to a Stanley Cup semifinal, and how important it was. And yet, there's big names that uh, even with with contracts uh, what does Arizona do with their goaltending what does Carolina do with its goaltending nothing's really firm uh, on those fronts uh, where there's there's movement in the past uh, it would be very solid what does Colorado do I think it's yeah sorry Hutch it's I just think it's 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 you see the move like you see it because the people don't want to invest term it's it's more of an uncertainty, right? Like we don't need to have one guy because look how deep the list is. And there's new younger names being added to the list every year. So we better not tie ourselves into one guy and overpay for one guy. Let's take a, let's just pick off this list on us. You know, if you look at Carolina, it feels like it's almost an annual or every couple of years basis. They're just sort of grabbing somebody off this list. And and to be honest, I, I sort of get it and I, I sort of I'm on the fence. Like I look at you know the price and the Vasilevsky in the Stanley Cup final, and and how much they meant to their teams. But if you don't have that guy, and there's not many of them, do you need to commit, or are you better to spend less and commit those resources to building a? You know, I've had goalie coaches say, if I could have an option to start a team, three great centers, a great top four on D or a superstar goaltender. Give me the great top four on D and I'll build you a goaltender. And I think there are a lot of teams that look at it the same way. And when the list is as deep as this every year, you're less panicked about, say, if you're Colorado, re-upping Philip Grubauer because you are you might have some confidence that you might be able to replace him at less than it would cost to re-sign him. I think you just exposed something that I've heard in all sorts of different sports there, Woody. And it also goes to the draft, which is coming up soon. And that is a coach who feels really confident in his abilities will quickly say, well, I'd rather have the six foot seven guy who might be a little raw because I can teach him to be a great goaltender than try and pick out the right six foot tall goaltender that can do it. And I, I say that when you said that, you know, you, you'd rather have that stud defense and then, and then build a goaltender as a result. I also think hockey has sort of a let's avoid the negative to it all the time as a management, as a fan base. And so, yes, you'd love to have that top, top guy, but you can make a mistake with a forward in free agency and you can bury him somewhere on the wing on the third line. You can send him down to the A. Let's not worry about cap implications and so on right now. But if you don't hit on the goaltender, 
it's exposed. And I think that's the same thing with the draft. I think if you really dig into the numbers, you're just as likely to succeed in picking a goaltender in early rounds as you are with a forward or a defenseman. However, it's there's only one or two jobs on the team. And, uh, and if you don't hit properly, then that mistake is exposed and management does not want it. Well, I mean, you can't afford to have that mistake exposed. This is to me is where something like ClearSight Analytics comes in, Stephen Valakat's analytics company. Um, and I know there are some teams that are clients, and I don't know, think I'm allowed to name them, that relied on their information this time last year when it came time to make a decision on a goaltender and making sure they found a goalie that fit their system based on what they gave up defensively and matching that to the strengths and weaknesses of the free agency class. And I know some of those teams are very happy with the guy they picked, even though it was not necessarily the biggest name on the market, they were, they're getting those types of results because the system fit his strengths. And we're at a time and period where you have information like ClearSight Analytics, um, where you can go down to that granular level and maybe you can overthink it too. There are other elements, you know, is he a goalie that, you know, needs to be busy to be good? Are we a team that gives up a lot of shots? Does that match? Is he good off the rush? They have that at clear sight. Do we give up a lot off the rush? Like is this strength end zone or rush? Like every goalie should be able to play in every situation, but they, every goalie also has strengths and weaknesses. Do those strengths and weaknesses fit my coach, my system, the structure we play, the chances we give up? You can measure that. So when it comes to avoiding that mistake on a list of 20 guys, I, I do think the good teams are doing their homework and trying to match that rather than just looking at that list and saying, this guy's always been a good goaltender, so he's going to be a good goaltender for us. Let's get him. So everybody's afraid to pull a Sergei Bobrovsky move mm-hmm. like the Florida Panthers mm-hmm. and put yourself in a bind, especially in, in which is compounded with Spencer Knight coming up and being so great last year. No guarantee that he uh, follows that progression, that linear tr- rock to the top because we've seen uh, good starts and then stumbles, but nobody wants to be in that, in that spot. Everybody wants to be Minnesota and Cam Talbot and, and find somebody with value. It is like that to me would be the example of just looking at the two uh, of one to avoid and one where, where you want to be. But you have to be. <laughs> Clear sight analytics. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm onto something there. <laughs> I said I, I said I wasn't going to say it, but that that that's one of them. There you go. Well, it, it's it's it. I don't know about the clear sight part of it, but I do know that you got great value for uh, a responsible price. Yeah, and 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 you got it by having a fit. You also have to be a team that's in a position to make that move, I think. And I don't mean fit under the cap or whatever, but where are you placed in the standings? Um, If you're a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, for example, who this is their window and they have to be going for it now, uh, I don't think they can take a risk to try and find the right salary cap fit there. They they really need to go for it here. I also think the whole idea of not making a mistake is why we see so many teams go back to the person that maybe they didn't think was the right one, but, you know, better the devil you know. And uh, 
I'm sure there's a lot of people that think the Edmonton Oilers can upgrade a net for next season. Uh, I'm sure the Edmonton Oilers feel pretty darn good about Mike Smith and, and knowing what they have there. And so there's a real good chance we're hearing that he's back there. I know Toronto would be okay moving on from Freddie Anderson. I don't think it would shock me to see him back there as well for the same reason. I think it's, a, it's interesting how often we think there's going to be wholesale movement and, and maybe there isn't for that familiarity reason as well. Hockey's always been a risk averse the way yeah. it's managed. It's always been risk averse, which again, to me, make the investment in whether it's people that are running your own private analytics or whether it's uh, you know loading up on stats that can help you dig down to that granular level to make it less of a risk. You're not just guessing based on reputation. Well, Toronto to me is a team that would have all the resources. They have uh, somebody that has a title, director of hockey strategy. Like there's all kinds of different layers. They put so much money into the off ice because it, uh, they could spend, they, they're an organization that has those resources, the dollars that they can put into the, uh, to the uh, areas that aren't affected by the salary cap. That would be something that I would expect them to do, not to go for the big name, but the big name is also what pacifies the big market fan base. The one position they're in that maybe lets them take a chance, I guess, is that they have two solid goaltenders that they're comfortable with. So if they rolled with Jack Campbell and somebody bit of a lesser light next season, I think people would understand that. So they could probably do just about anything this offseason, Kevin. Well, and that's the other thing there is it's not just, you know, I talk about clear sight, like those are important factors, like measuring where a goalie's strengths and weaknesses are and where your team's strengths and weaknesses are in terms of what you give up. But there's other factors, right? Like Toronto, you need a goalie who can play well when he's not busy. and Because they have become a really good defensive team. We're talking about goaltending in Toronto, and the problem was they couldn't score. They defended right. just fine, right? Like that wasn't why they lost. They could, their stars and all the money up front wasn't producing in that series. But it always comes back down to goaltending. Uh, I think that you have to, in that case, also ask, can this guy handle our market? Like that's another factor that doesn't necessarily exist in Colorado. I think both of them are similar defensive environments and you better make sure you've got a goalie. And again, you know, we tie it into Pecorine who was reti retired this week. There was a guy who struggled and found a way to his credit to play his best when he wasn't seeing a lot of shots. Andre Vasilevsky. You know, to me, two years ago, he shouldn't have been a Vesna finalist because his first half was terrible. But the reality is his struggles in the first half two years ago when he won his first cup were because they became a great defensive team and they weren't leaning on him anymore. So now he wasn't busy. And he's talked about this great story um, at The Athletic in Tampa Bay last year during the time. I think it's I struggle. I think it's Joe Smith is the writer there. Uh, apologies if not, just brain cramp here. But Really great story about the lengths that Vasilevsky went to working with a mental coach to sort of find ways to be comfortable when he wasn't being asked to carry the team and make tons of saves. And he came out of that crappy first half and was the best goalie in the league in the second half and won the Stanley Cup because he learned how to play well when he didn't have to play a lot in terms of all the saves. And so if I'm going to invest in a short-term free agency guy and I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs or even Colorado, I want to know in Toronto, can he handle our market in the spotlight? 
well, I can't afford to make that investment and have a guy who needs half a season to figure out how to play well when he's not being asked to make a ton of saves. And it's sort of the Curtis Joseph is the example everyone always goes to. Like, you know, if you need 70 saves and a guy to carry your team, he was the guy. Put him behind the Red Wings where he was far less busy and you just needed to sort of make the ones you had to. And it was more of a struggle. Not everyone can play behind that type of team. And I'm sure there are, you can come up with metrics that will measure it, but I'm not sure it's something that a lot of people consider in the equation, frankly. Two teams. Uh, I'm curious about Arizona and Buffalo, and we'll wait to see on those. But Edmonton, uh, before we leave this conversation, what do we expect the Oilers to do this offseason with their net mining? Resign Mike Smith and bring back... Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Miko Koskinen, um, you know, like I've heard, I've seen, and maybe they buy out Miko Koskinen. Maybe that's possible. Last year was not a great year for him. Two years, his adjusted numbers had him, you know, on the fringe of the top ten. So I don't know. Again, it to me, it's this: is the cost of buying him out and replacing him? Are you confident you can get better than what you had in replacing him for less than the cost of that contract plus the buyout? In that case, you consider it. Otherwise. Um, you know, he's real easy target in that market, but, and he wasn't, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Last year was not a great year, but the year before was pretty good. And you better make sure you can get better than that if you're going to do that. And as far as Mike Smith, it'll be easy to, to pick on it, but Mike Smith had a renaissance season last year. And I do think it's somewhat repeatable because there were some very specific changes made with our friend, Adam Francilia in the off season in terms of how he moved, how he trained to move his body and move in the crease. And they were augmented and worked perfectly with what Dustin Schwartz teaches in Edmonton. And the two of those guys combined really like, you know, small things that made a big difference in Mike Smith's game last year that I think can continue. It wasn't one year. It was his best year in what? Almost a decade statistically. And I don't think it's a blip. So as much as people are going to rip them, if they bring him back, um, I think, and the other part of that equation is beyond stopping pucks, that locker room doesn't have anyone else as a team that does what might, they, one of the reasons Dave Tippett didn't want to sit him down on nights he wasn't starting down the stretch because he felt he needed him on the bench as that voice. They miss. He's their conscience. And they miss some of the elements that he brings if they don't have him. And I don't know that there are any goaltenders on this list, like because that's a pretty big personality, that add that to your locker room. Holtby. Holtby would, but can they afford him? Um, what about, just for a little fun, if they bought out Koskinen and uh, maybe they bring in somebody who deserves to step up his role a little bit based on past performances? Former Edmonton Oil King, Lorraine Brassois, also a free agent. That'd be fun to see him there. Trading within their division? Oh, no, sorry. They're not in the same no, division a anymore. Agent. He's a free agent. <laughs> and, and, he's, yeah, and he's a free agent. Yeah. I'm just trying to make fun of him. Uh, the, the fact that last year, there's got to be, I don't know whether it's 10% or 20% where you throw out the good, the bad, or the ugly, and you just say, that was a weird season, weird time in our lives. And maybe, maybe the good numbers weren't as good as they were going to be, or the bad numbers were never uh, repeatable because it was just a strange time. I wonder if there's part of that too. Well, isn't isn't that something we say about goaltending all the time anyway? Let's not get too high. Let's not get too low. Uh, let's try and maintain something nice and level. And and you you might have something there, Darren. 
what if, what if we're talking about bringing back Lorraine Bossois? What if we've hearing a lot of rumors out of Pittsburgh about Tristan Jari? You're talking about Edmonton and three and a half million cap hit and reuniting yep. him with a goalie coach, Dustin Schwartz, that he works with in the offseason anyways, in a market where he had success with the Oil Kings. Like at the end of the day, guys, like there's just so much that could happen. Like everything's sort of on the table. I think nothing will surprise and probably less than we expect will happen. Might give me some time to watch some beach volleyball and some water polo uh, while I'm over here in Tokyo during the uh, Olympic Games. Uh, no fans, but uh, looking forward to the games actually taking place after uh, a year off. And uh, one person that's going to be able to, even though it's a Summer Olympics uh, and they're a winter uh, nation, uh, Finland's Pekareni will have uh, some time to just sit back and enjoy the games uh, of this uh, Tokyo Olympiad due to the fact that... Uh, that he has now announced his retirement, Woody. Uh, 15 years, all with the same team, uh, Vezin Trophy, a March of the Stanley Cup final. I mean, there's a lot to like about what was a diamond in the rough when it came to the National Hockey League draft. Yeah, I mean, picked in a round that no longer exists, right? That says it all. I think he was an eighth-round pick of the Preds. There's a great story about sort of sight unseen. He didn't start the night they went. They sent somebody in to watch him specifically. So they basically just got to watch him and warm up. Uh, there's just there's so many there's so many different threads we could pick on with Pekka, and we hope to pick on them, pick at them in person with him in the near future. Um, to me, though, remarkable career, the face of the Nashville Predators. So many things we talk about goaltending. We talk about the puck handling, how he used puck handling to deal with um, nights where he wasn't busy. Totally evolved the way he did that. Yeah, I remember he used to be criticized as not a great puck handler. Then he became a guy that other other goalies around the league. I remember once one of my Christmas columns for NHL.com was if you asking goalies around the league, if you could take one skill from another guy and add it to your game, what would it be? And I had a guy say, Pekka Rene stopping pucks behind the net because he did everything to do it. Like he that was his way of staying engaged in low shot games. He'd be making saves behind the net to stop rims. He'd be sliding into the boards in a butterfly, going in RVH, sealing the boards to stop rims. And it paid off with a goal late in his career. Like There are so many, uh, the way he overcame the hip surgery and the dip in his career post-hip surgery and a lot of people writing him off, and yet he comes back to win a Vesna Trophy and take a team to the Stanley Cup final. But for all the different things we could talk about in terms of stopping the puck and being a great goaltender and the greatest player in Nashville Predators history, the face of the franchise. It's the person that Pekka Rene is that jumps out to me. And that's why in our IG account when he retired, the first photo that we that I wanted to put up was one of him smiling. Because that's always how I remembered him, no matter how long and annoying my questions were when he came into town. Like he loved the game. He loved people. He was just a great person you see it in his charity work he won the king clancy award this year the things he set up in terms of uh children's hospital and children's cancer work in in nashville just a genuinely good guy when i think of pekka Rennie, i think of catching pucks i was gonna he say would the catch them thing. on the ice he yeah. would catch them uh at his, at his knees he would catch them above the net like any anything around him whether it was catchable or not, he would snag the puck. And, and I don't know how he did it. I don't know why he did it. Uh, whether it was uh, so, something that, uh, whether it was bandy, I don't know what it was. But 
he was able to catch anything. Pesapola, if I'm saying it correctly. Mm-hmm. And yes, we did yes, this yes. story yeah, early. Baseball. We did finish baseball. Yeah, we did. And that was the second photo in our Instagram. The first one, the congratulating him on his career. The first one was a smile. The second one was we had a picture of him catching a puck in front of his pads. And I remember writing that story. Remember when they first made the playoffs in Nashville? It was against the Vancouver Canucks, where the first time they got to the second round was against the Canucks. And the story, I think the hashtag going around on Twitter was sort of relatively new to me at the time. This, well, actually pretty much relatively new to everyone. The hashtag was things in Pekka's glove, right? Because he was catching everything in the playoffs, right? And so there were some pretty funny lines in there about, or not in my story, but on the internet about things in Pekka Rene's glove that were sort of pop culture references at the time. But Pesapola, he would tell you from, from playing Finnish baseball growing up and that active glove hand. And I remember Shea Weber... Because a lot of people would, you know, they're catching pucks cross body and doing things that nobody else was doing. But I remember their defenseman and Shea Weber telling, because Weber was there at the time, telling me that the amount of rebounds that it would save, right? Because if you're a defenseman and the puck shot on the net, you've got your your face in the forwards, you got your back to the net. You don't see necessarily where that puck hits a pad and comes off into the corner. And now you've got to reset, and it's it's not an easy thing to do defensively. Pekka would just catch those pucks. They'd have a face-off. They were a good face-off team, and it was a more controlled defensive environment. They figured anywhere from 6 to 12 times a game. It saved them as a defense core from having to go into that rebound scramble mode because of the way Pekka controlled games by controlling face-offs with that active glove. You beat me to it on the the glove there, Darren, and that was definitely standing out for me. Guys, I think the thing for Pekka that really stands out for me is that combination of size and athleticism. I mean, you're talking about it with the glove, but uh, for me, he's sort of one of the only guys or the first guys to bring that uh, outsized body matching sort of the athleticism that we might expect from a, a smaller goaltender. And I thought that's a pretty unique combination and, and one that now I'm sure we're going to see more and more in the National Hockey League as, as larger goaltenders are better trained as they're coming up and, and more athletic as well. Uh, Guys, my, my poor son, you know, he never, he never stood a chance because uh, he was probably being brainwashed to be a goaltender his whole life. We all, um, we all play around with tongue twisters with our children, don't we? You guys have a tongue twister in mind, probably, as I say that. So ours became Pekka picked a puck upon his pad. <laughs> and we did that one quite a bit. Um, it wasn't intentional brainwashing, honestly, Matthew. Uh, True story. Anyway, lo- love Pekka, always been one of my faves, and I wish him well in retirement. I wonder if we'll see a- another generation of Pekkas, not just because from watching him, but because of Sensorina. And uh, and now that we're we're using our gloves and uh, being able to train so much with our with our hand-eye, and it uh, might just be uh, part of it. Uh, Sensorina VR will bring you your feature interview uh, today with Dylan Ferguson, a Kelly Cup champion. Uh, we'll stop by the program in just a little bit, and uh, we'll also tell you a little bit more about Sensorino VR, the goggles, and uh, and what you can expect if you haven't signed up. And if you have signed up uh, for Sensorino and are using it, I have it uh, over with me in Tokyo to uh, to keep me busy. Uh, some of the different uh, aspects uh, to uh, Sensorino VR. Uh, can we put to rest uh, one Pecorino? Enjoy your retirement, and number two, there was a real controversy after the Stanley Cup final. A photo of Carey Price and Andre Vasilevsky uh, at center ice, and one showed Vasilevsky with this huge upper body, 
protector and Carey Price looking slim and trim. And people were up in arms saying, that's why Tampa Bay won. That's why uh, Andre Vasilevsky is successful. I thought there were supposed to be rules about upper body. Can we just put some explanation behind uh, what we saw here and whether or not it was just the angle of the photo uh, or was there uh, a different set of gear here in play? Uh, so first thing I did is check with Cam at the hockey shop because anytime I have a gear question, I go to Cam at the hockey shop because that's where you should get all your gear questions yes. answered. Um, and especially like we're talking about new gear and evolving gear and how gear fits you, how you like to wear your gear. Do you tuck like on like, like Carrie Price? Do you untuck your chest protector like Andre Vasilevsky, which made it look a lot bigger? And if so, how does it integrate with your pads? It's not just about how the latest and greatest gear looks in the new features. It's how about how it fits your game and your personal preferences. And the guys at the hockey shop will take care of answering all those things. Don't just buy a chesty. You got to know how it fits, how it's going to fit on your body, how it's going to fit with your pants. They've got all the latest lines, all the new stuff. The new chest protectors from Warrior are coming in. Uh, new lines from Bauer with the Hyperlite. New lines from CCM. All in stock at thehockeyshop.com. So that's where you should go to get your answers there. In terms of answers on this controversy, I had to go to a few different places. First off, I believe it's actually the same chest protector. Might be a slightly different size. Uh, but quietly, um, Andre Vasilevsky ordered the CCM model late in the season. Uh, and I believe was wearing it in that photograph. I've been able to 100% confirm that, but have pretty good confirmation on the, the first part of that statement. Um, Listen, this is Carey Price tucking, and we've seen how tucked he goes and how he has the suspenders over the top. We've been in the room with him when he puts it on, uh, and he keeps it tight and tidy the way the NHL would like it to be. Pants are super big because you ha that's the one thing. Guys that tuck, you get to tuck them into larger pants. You get an accommodation for that. Um, Vasilevsky wears it loose, wears it open. At the end of the day, it's all regulated and measured by the NHL and any modifications are subject to fines. And this was largely... I showed you guys the photo from the other angle. Like if you take a photo, there's a bird's eye view photo from the other angle and none of this stuff about how big they are really pops. It, Vasilevsky's so listed at... Yeah, it's, there's a large element to that. 6'3", He's listed at, so is Kerry. They're supposed to be five pounds within each other. I just checked a story I wrote three years ago. Vasilevsky was 6'4". So somehow he shrunk an inch over the course of his career. I think he's actually taller. At the end of the day, it's mostly the photo. The photo from the other side doesn't show a problem. Tuck and untuck makes a massive difference in how it appears. Andre does have, a, I believe, an XL permission, whereas Kerry's in a large... Um, you know, again, length of arms and things like that. So I, I like it's it's pretty much much ado about nothing for the most part in my in my opinion. Although I will say it wasn't just the internet freaking out. At least one general manager took note and enough note of it to send a to send that photo to the league and ask some questions. Wow, did not know that. They don't miss much, do they? <laughs> They're fans like us too, except with a and lot they, more invested. Yeah. They must have burners on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think everybody, everybody has one. All you have to do and is hang out at a goalie camp, uh, much like I am here at Eli Wilson's goaltending camp in, in Edmonton. 
and you can see all the different ways that you can wear your equipment and you find some kids that look enormous because of the way they happen to untuck that chesty and you see some kids that look slim and trim as a result of the way they tuck so i i have to agree i was one of the ones that was looking at it long before that photo i have to say i actually think in the games he does look larger as well um i was one of the ones thinking maybe something funny was going on probably thinking back to last season guys at the end of of the playoffs and when we saw Anton Huboden Hudobin in uh, in that outsized sort of undershirt that that made him a, quite a bit larger as well and uh, so maybe I thought something was going on there and then I realized you know looking around the ice here at a camp with uh, 15 goaltenders on the ice you can see some incredible variation in the way you wear your equipment and and hats off to those that take advantage of it if if they feel it helps and you know other guys feel it's much more important to be to be trim and feel like they can move quicker as a result although heaven help the hockey world if uh, Vasilevsky ever finds a way to move any faster and that's the other thing too is uh, I mentioned you know general managers taking note uh it I had notes from goalie coaches who are at camps with pro shooters and pro goalies right now sort of ramping up in different areas in July and I got notes from them as well this was a big topic of conversation in those locker rooms before and after those pro skates with NHL guys and the shooters thinking, look at the, like that, you know, they had the opinion that it was an advantage and, and, you know, not using the word cheating. It's like I said, it's within the rules. Um, but certainly that opinion and that, wow, look how big he looks. And I do think that undergarments and the amount of padding and the undershirts is something that they might have to, you know, the Hudobin example is one that it looked like he had a chest, prote- like his shirt looked like a chest protector. Maybe not quite, but not far from it in certain areas. And, you know, maybe they have to take a look at that and regulating that. Um, but the chest protector itself, the one thing they always said, the goalie said, is you can't tell us how to wear it. Like you can't make a guy uncomfortable by forcing him to tuck if he's never been a tucker. And the NHL likes the look of a Carey Price. Like they like the way that's all tight and put together. Now, the one thing that was discussed when they did these rule changes around the chest protectors and made them um, proportional size and reined them in significantly, like just go look at pictures before K took care of that and how much bigger the goalies all looked back then. Mm. Um, watching KHL. It's, yeah, watching we <laughs> talk to the guys we've talked to in the K. <laughs> yeah, yoga blocks. Um, it's made a difference. But the one piece that was discussed at that time was tighter fitting jerseys. And I think that would shrink wrap an Andre Vasilevsky a little bit more than he is in his current jersey. And that is something that the league wanted to do and just was never able to accomplish. And my understanding is it's because even the guys who were tightly tucked pushed back a little bit because that sort of elasticized nature of a tighter fitting jersey felt restrictive and they've just never gotten there with the jerseys because the guys can't get on board with it and that would be your the one thing that you know pulls in a guy who wants it untucked a little more than what we see with with Andre Vasilevsky and what we saw with Anton Hudobin last year but the you know the prevailing thought from the goalies themselves was always you cannot tell me how to wear it you can size it down but you can't tell me how I have to wear it because for some guys that air gap and having it sort of sit loose is like an extra layer of cushioning. When guys that wrap it tight and have it tucked are the ones that'll tell you they feel quite often the ones that'll tell you they feel more in the rib cage. More than feel. tight sweaters this is the vanity test, and nobody n- n- that that's the biggest reason why nobody wants a tight sweater. It just looks goofy, different, <laughs> weird. 
There's a disadvantage to untucking as well, isn't there, Woody? What's the Woody oh, somebody story? Might... <laughs> What's the Woody story? I mean, there's a Woody story for just about everything, but Kevin Woodley's on why not to play untucked. Well, why not to play untucked when you also are just learning the position, playing over your head against guys who can shoot, and the gear may not have been fitting all that well. Um, the risk of untucked is getting turned in one direction while a shot comes from the other. Counter-rotation is what I would now call it. I didn't know counter-rotation back then. Um, and a shot getting between loose-fitting pants and an untucked chest protector in just the right spot on a 1T from a guy who played minor pro, and then wondering why you had this abdominal pain in the middle of the night, and then the next day having your appendix removed with emergency surgery, and the surgeon's asking why there was this puck mark, this perfectly puck-sized mark on your lower abdomen. So yeah, um, they never could say for sure, but it was healthy tissue when they did the biopsy on the what they removed. And it was actually almost life-threatening because I'd gone septic, not realizing I thought I had a bad flu overnight. And then uh, the ruptured appendix had started to go septic inside my uh, my system by the time we got me to the hospital the next day. So untucked, if not worn properly, does have risks. Take it from a guy who lost his appendix and almost a lot more. Woody, life lessons. Once oh, again, on the Ingoal Radio podcast, there's a book or I at least see, an Instagram account. Yeah, I, I, I can see Hutch. Like, just like like of course, like who else is gonna like who who else is gonna have uh, <laughs> who else has that sort of, like who else is gonna get hurt that way? But Woody, like what a clown! But it happened. Hey, it's actually a serious interview. advice. It's serious advice for for families with young kids, yeah. especially like if you don't wear the gear right, you can get hurt. If you wear the gear right. We're not the crazy ones. It's the defensemen standing in front of all these shots. So look after yourselves, folks. I'm with you. And and just to uh, put a, a bow on it, I was I was more taken aback by Udobin's undershirt last yep. year than I ever was the picture this season in the Stanley Cup final between Price and Vasilevsky. And while Udobin got a little bit of attention, maybe it it waned off because it was the middle of uh, September and we were all like, what's going on in the world right now? But, uh, but that one uh, grabbed me uh, a little bit. And, and by the way, uh, that also brings us up to Dallas and what they're going to do with their goaltending. And that'll be a, a, a situation to keep an eye on. Well, they, they got a break there, Darren. I'm not sure if you caught it because you're yeah 15 hours ahead, but I didn't see this coming. Ben Bishop going to the team and telling him, being the one to initiate waiving his no move for Seattle so they can protect Anton Hudobin. And just, I think, given the uncertainty surrounding Ben's knee injury and, and timeline to return, can't see Seattle going... Makes sense, you know, right? ...making that pick on him. So by doing that you know, sort of selfless act, he allows what's there to stay intact because they can protect Hudobin and Odinger doesn't need a protection spot. He's not eligible for the expansion draft. So they pretty much get to keep it all intact. And it was Bishop uh, who Tampa moved on from to clear the road for Andre Vasilevsky. So everything uh, comes together in the wide world of goaltending as uh, the situation is about to explode going into the expansion draft, the draft, and NHL free agency. Our uh, feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena with Dylan Ferguson, Kelly Cup champion, uh, member of the Vegas Golden Knights organization, coming up in just a little bit. But uh, the gear segment, uh, Woody, uh, Con concentrating on the Bauer protection line. We've got the knee pads, we've got the neck guards, and uh, a little bit in between with the jocks. 
Yeah, we uh, pretty much made Cam, uh, we, we, we let him keep his clothes on before trying on all these pieces of equipment, but we made him parade around the store. There'll be photos uh, online as we tease this later on uh, in the complete new protective line from Bauer. Um, you know, pretty much just making small changes and tweaks. We've talked about all the new gear lines from them with Hyperlate. We had the skates with now the Pro Elite and GSX recently. And this time we wanted to take it there. There was enough changes, like they redid sort of made tweaks and redid sort of the whole line that we figured we'd review the whole thing. So, yeah, we don't need to listen to me talk about it. Let's have Cam fill you in on the specifics of what's changed with Bauer Protective this season. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. I'm down here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv, and we are having a little fun trying on the new Bauer Protective line. Well, we're going to try on the knee pads. We'll leave the jocks for show and tell. Nobody wants to see us putting on our underwear, Cam, you in particular. So why don't we start with the knee pads? We had the new skate line. We talked about that recently, where you switched from, you know, a distinct vapor and ultrasonic, distinct supreme, Vapor, ultrasonic, hyperlite, no more sort of in some of the protective categories. We've seen Bauer move towards one steady line. Pro, Elite, GSX. In the knee pads, we have all three levels. In the jock, it's just Pro and Elite. We'll start with the knee pads, and why not start with the best, the highest end, the top of the line, the Pro, and some of the changes, Cam. I've got it on. Certainly, I noticed that under the knee, a lot more wrap, a lot more cushioning. Uh, it locks in and just a lot more sort of comfort there. So I wouldn't say like almost a bit of a redesign, almost a bit of a refinement all at the same time. Um, some great features that they have worked on. So the spring knee pads have always been very, very successful for us. Um, I would say right up there with the warrior knee pads in terms of top sellers uh, on our knee pad wall. Um, these guys really kind of set out just like, okay, well, what really worked with the spring knee pad? The level of protection. Time out, time out, time out. Hold on. Okay. As much as I enjoy watching you wearing this, we have these things called microphones oh, yeah. so that people can actually hear you. Oh, yeah. Now you're allowed to continue. I'll okay. just hold on to this. So a quick recap here. <laughs> Supreme knee pad worked out well. How do we make it better? Common complaint, impact on the knee. So as you were dropping down, the Supreme knee pad had a little bit of pour on, on where the actual knee landing surface was. It could get a little bit hard, um, especially when it was cold, which the ice rink is cold. That impact was a little bit hard. And Protection level too, is great. Yeah, I did. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we got to be careful here. Like, poron is a material that absorbs impact. And certainly, as you have it on and your body heats up, it does soften up. I will say that I found over the years at times, because it was a smaller piece of poron versus being distributed across, certainly early in an ice session before it had softened up, Sometimes you could feel it in certain areas of the knee rather than being distributed throughout the knee like this new layer of protection is. Yes. So, much softer inside comfort foam. So they've reduced down the knee pad a little bit. They've gotten rid of the anchor strap at the bottom, but because they've extended out this knee portion so much, you don't need it. Um, it does remind me of the warrior knee pad in that area. Like there's correct. quite a bit of material down here, but that's one of the reasons it fits and stays so well. Correct. So... I've had a chance to skate with these on the ice already. Um, and actually, uh, some, some keen guys caught up and picked up that they saw it uh, when we initially did our Hyperlite review and posted it. 
ironically enough, I made a mistake. And those for those that are, are paying attention um, and did call out, I was wearing them backwards. That was my bad. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so those those that did call it out, you got me. Hold on. Hold on. Let me go find a pair of pads for you to wear, Cam. Oh, I know. We'll yeah, you just we keep can... talking. We just keep talking there. We're going to have a Hollywood moment here. Oh, boy. Well, beyond redemption, uh, pro knee pad, great feel, good fit. Definitely worth a check out here. This is how Cam skates now. Oh, well, they're actually both left-handed, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. Take that one yeah. away. See, I do it right. This is you. You're like that guy in all the movies that gets it wrong. Get it out of here. Get it out of here. Get, get the warrior pad out of the Bower review. Jeez, that was actually a mistake. I, my brain. We talked. Never mind. Keep going. Okay, so elite knee pad. This bad boy continues off of the very popular 1X knee pad as well. Uh, got a few guys, quite a few pros wearing this knee pad as well. One of the cool features that we found out with this, because that Curvex, um, it, it is a little bit thermal moldable. So you can take and actually put these in our skate oven and almost mold them around the knee just a little bit more so they're not having as much as that flare. Now the difference there on the Elite is the Curvex is only in this middle comp That's compartment. Correct. Uh, whereas here we have the hard Curvex cap that's already molded around, but you're also featuring the upper thigh portion as well. Pour and and again, low. just a, yeah. and a little more like this, like you said, you could mold it around the knee more, but this one, like you take a look at the inside of the knee, like I am not taking one off there that I can feel. So again, as we move down price points, you get to lower price points, it costs less, you get a little less of the fancy material. Correct. So a little bit more rudimentary, however, it's still a great option for knee pads. And like I said, very, uh, quite a few pros wear this knee pad as well. Um, it's been more than enough from them, so definitely worth a call out. Uh, one more quick note before you go anywhere. Um, these tabs up here, specifically for Bauer, has their own garter belt, which is just a one-strap system. They'll also hold up your socks as well. Definitely worth checking out because I do recommend, regardless of any knee pad and any brand, socks over top of the knee pad that helps to uh, constrict them just a little bit more around the knee, stops them from sliding, has some slip easier inside the knee cradle, and will also stop velcro from chewing apart the knee cradle of your pack okay i'll give you the velcro chewing apart and certainly there's reasons and we've talked about them before to wear socks over top of your knee pads but i gotta say i gotta feel like the way this is locked in you're certainly not necessary this thing isn't going to move whether you strap it in at the top or not um, really just like the fit here and what i like about the bauer line in general whether it's the pro uh, or the elite is even at the pro not bulky like, no. like in that, in that sliding scale where we see guys like, you know, like the full, big, beefy pro knee pad, this one sits just underneath that. It's not the biggest one on the market, still full wrap, full protection, but mobility is not going to be an issue in this knee pad. Correct. GSX, lowest, lowest price point, probably a little more for, for youth. Although again, as there are some goalies that prefer to have barely anything on their leg. So this is as tapered set as it gets. And you know what? At the end of the day, something is better than nothing. Um, that said, they've actually made some strides and refined this knee pad because it used to be the same design for, oh, geez, close to 20, 22, 23 years of the same style of knee pad. Come on, how old are you? Uh, old. You know what? On him in 23 years of the same knee pad as if he'd remember 23 years ago. I can. Keep going. It was liar. called the Bauer Reactor at the time. 23 years. How old are you? How old am I? We'll let our viewers guess. So, 
This knee pad, what has changed, they've added a hinge design, so it's creating more of that pivot point, especially when you do drop down in that butterfly. Less restriction, better mobility with it. Again, not the most protective knee pad that we sell, but something is definitely better than nothing. I mean, I wouldn't go out and start taking bombs in this for sure. However, you know, if you're looking for more of a slim trim down, you're not as concerned about getting hit in the knees, this is a great option for you. Okay, let's switch to the neck guards. I'm tired of making jokes about how you're actually a lot younger than 20. Like, you can't, come on, 23 years. What are you, like, you're, you can't even be 30. On, let our viewers find out. Maybe us old timers. Okay. Moving things along to the neck guard. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bauer, uh, quick redesign of their uh, neck guard line. So we have the Pro and the Elite. Uh, the Elite, their uncertified neck guard. Lower style collar, not being Q certified. Uh, again, someone looking for lower trim down neckline. Doesn't have to be concerned with the BNQ neck guard. So any minor hockey kid, again, you would have to wear a player turtleneck or anything like that. Brings us to the pro neck guard. Pour on featured in the actual padding density in the collar itself. Uh, very flexible this year. They've segmented it more uh, than they have in the past to, again, aid in that flexibility. Nice, soft upper collar. Something a little bit different from them, even softer than they have in years Ooh, past. That's, like, that's probably for you. That's probably just as comfortable as that Saturday night turtleneck you're always wearing. Saturday night turtleneck? Well, we can go to your super soft party a little bit later too, and I can wear it. BNQ certified? Exactly. All right. So no GSX line in the neck protector. It's nope. just pro and elite. Really nice, flexible product, like you said. Uh, has the thermal core on the back of the elite. It's got the pour on XRD call out. So you know there's poron in there to, again, absorb some of that impact, uh, especially right, right in the neck area. Uh, thermal on Thermal that core one. here, no poron featured in this one. All right. There it is. There's your new Bauer protective line for 2021. Do we, I mean, it's important. We had to quickly talk about the, you know, jocks. Okay. Yeah, you brought the jocks out. Yeah, I, mean, I forgot about that. Okay, really quick. So it's been a rough segment for me. <laughs> Bauer Elite Jock replacing the Vapor. Um, Bauer Standard, single cup. For the price point, it's offered quite a lot of protection and always been a good go-to for us. Uh, you know, we're still getting all the protection level that you do need to up into a point, just a single cup. However, price point deciding on this one has always been very, very good value. However, if you're looking for the next step up, the Bauer Pro Jock, this replaces the Supreme Jock um, that has done very well for us again. Uh, they've redone uh, their cup design, so it is a true single cup. However, you do get a full hard plate, a pour-on and Curvex composite that's put up in front. Um, so that's pretty much like a double. It's like a second layer. You pretty much as a double a cup. cup. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's more of a deflective plate, um, almost, if you will. Um, still falls in that same style of fit. Good comfort, great protection. Great option. And listen, anytime you can have Poron down there for an extra layer of protection, I'm taking it. Deflector plate, I like that. Want to deflect. So, um, adjustability too. We talked about that, how we open it up. There's a lot of adjustability, so you'll be able to get it to fit properly, fit inside your pants properly. Correct. Okay, now are we done? Yes. That's the new Bauer 2021 protective line. Thanks, Cam, for walking us through it, as painful as it was <laughs> at times. My apologies. We don't always have our A game. Sometimes we let in a few stinkers. I mean, I work with this guy on a weekly basis, so oh. we understand only, only A plus, Only A-plus around here, so. 
The good news is last year's Supreme models are on sale. Check them out at thehockeyshop.com or give me a call here at 604-589-8299. And Wildy, what's her 1-800 number? 1-800-567-7790. Can't wait to steal your thunder. This is fun. Wow. Like, thanks, Hutch. I'm not even necessary anymore. Just going to turn it over to you. <laughs> like, this is why we have starters and backups <laughs> at all levels of hockey. Sometimes the other guy needs to carry it. I apologize. I'm off my game. I got the hook. Good job, Ken. You got a future in this. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> you guys were all over the place in that that little visit it, it, it's like you hadn't seen each other for a while and and you were just so excited that you lost your focus well i mean focus is an issue for me <laughs> we've we've established <laughs> that but cam too i mean i'm pretty sure that those knee pads have an r and an l written on them so the fact he couldn't get that straight i mean i think for cam at this point you know there's maybe been a few pucks off the noggin a few crease crashes over the years i i think it, i think he could see the r and the l and just forgot where his right and his left was so advice to folks out there if you need to talk gear with Cam, 100%. If you go there in person and you need directions afterwards on where you're going to get home or away from the hockey shop, maybe not the guy to ask because he'll be looking. Like, I'm, he might have to start putting, like, writing on his palm, like, R, L, what a L. Just hold up your fingers. L. Yeah. We started this whole thing like counting up uh, all the goaltenders on the move with our on our on our hands. As as long as he doesn't get hey, the job just mixed to be up. fair to Cam, like, that, that's an just easy to be one. fair to Cam. If to be fair to Cam, if you're going to ask Woody for directions, you might want to book off half an hour to get an entire tour of Vancouver. So, a <laughs> uh, guy that's in Vancouver right now is Dylan Ferguson. Uh, he is back home and he is uh, ready to go in the Lower Mainland. After an eventful season, everybody had a crazy story from this past season, but uh, the uh, draft pick of the Dallas Stars originally and uh, dealt to the Vegas Golden Knights and uh, what an incredible story he was in year number one for the expansion Golden Knights organization, uh, one-upped himself uh, this year in year four with a Kelly Cup championship and uh, got to see every level of uh, professional hockey in, in North America uh, with the top three, uh, anyway, and caps it off with a championship, Woody. Yeah, I think, and you know, to me, it's funny because there was so much from the season he had, and we've talked to guys who have gone through what a unique year this was, but so many great lessons and takeaways on the way he managed, um, the challenges of, like I said, he was, he was, he was with Vegas for the outdoor game. Um, you know, up in, in, um, where was the outdoor game? Tahoe. There? Tahoe. Tahoe sorry. I, one of those. I, I, I've got a mental block on Tahoe because I've never been there and I want to be there. Um, you know, he's, I, I didn't even ask him about that first season. Like he played in the NHL as a 19 year old called up on an emergency basis out of junior. And I didn't even ask him about that story because there was so much compelling stuff about this year. And I think, this is a story about a guy winning a championship in the ECHL in his, you know, in his first full pro season. I guess it's, it's, I don't know if you count last year. It's such a weird year. Um, but really, it's a story about the lessons. And I, I, this is just loaded with takeaways. We know he's worked with uh, Pete Fry 
A lot of great examples of how he puts that into his game and how he, he used that along the path. He's doing some work now with Josh Tucker on the vision side. Like, you know, Dylan's a guy that sort of wants to check all those boxes and, and journaling. He has a relationship with Jack LaFontaine, who we had on the podcast. Mike Richter award winner is a top NCAA goalie. He's picked up some of his journaling habits as well. So there are so many things in here that whether you're a beer leaguer or a young goalie or a parent of a young goalie, you can take away from this interview as things you can be doing to help get better as a goaltender. And I think it's credit to Dylan um, that there were so many of them that we didn't even get to some of the good stories from earlier in his career. And getting better is uh, courtesy of uh, Sense Arena, a BR. And you can uh, certainly dive into that, uh, Sense Arena BR, presenting our feature interview, Hutch. They sure are. And, uh, you know, the, the place that we first met uh, Fergie, well, we met Fergie on a golf course shortly after his Bantam draft when Kamloops selected him uh, out of Notre Dame. But uh, we really got to know him here at the Eli Wilson Goaltending School in Edmonton, where we've been on the ice with him uh, many, many times. And uh, in fact, where he did do a bit of a podcast interview with us, uh, Woody, this wasn't his first appearance. He came on with us with... Uh, Eli Wilson about a year ago, and we did get a chance to talk a little bit about his experience. Just wanted to throw you under the bus there, Woody. I thought that was an I thought that was a webinar. That's why I said premium members. Yeah, My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. That's okay. I'm the most forgetful Somebody of the three of us, me. so I'm I'm glad that I got to one up you there a little bit. But guys, at the Eli Wilson Goaltending School, the other thing that we've seen this week is uh, they took delivery of uh, a Sense Arena unit, and so their top prospect goaltenders have been using Sense Arena all this week, and they've got two more weeks of uh, top midget and junior goaltenders coming in to train with Sense Arena. So, Darren, uh, it, you know, it's hitting the grassroots. We know a number of other coaches around North America that are using Sense Arena with their students as well. It's got that ability now that as a coach, if you, if you have the right module, you can actually push training plans out to your students. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think Eli's doing this quite yet, but he's got the ability that if his students also have a sense arena at home, uh, he can say this is the workout that best fits what we saw in our camp, what we saw in our most recent training session. You might want to take this to get ready for the next time uh, we're going on the ice, and then he'll see which of his students are doing their, their work as well. So uh, for coaches, sense arena is a, a fantastic tool. For athletes, I think the young goaltenders that are working with it here for the first time are seeing that it's an incredible tool to help you as you get on the ice, just to help with that puck tracking, to help with that hands, those, those warm-ups, you know. Uh, everybody talks about what a realistic experience it is. Everybody talks about how it's almost disorienting. Um, you know, I actually um, met a, a coach here. Well, I've, no, I've known him uh, for a long time. Don Blair coaches here with Eli. He built a crease in his backyard in Edmonton, doesn't have enough space for a full sheet of ice doesn't want to be flinging pucks at his neighbors, but he built a beautiful crease uh, to actually go out in the backyard and train uh, on Sense Arena so that you can get that movement that's a little bit more realistic than your feet in the tiny Tokyo hotel room. Uh, but you can also combine it with uh, the work of Sense Arena, tracking pucks, making saves. As realistic as it is, we have to remember, this isn't replacing your on-ice experience as much as Don tried to. Um, it's replacing that tossing a tennis ball off the wall, the juggling, still all valid things to do, but this is just taking that away from the ice training to an absolutely new level. And I think we're going to see the results with, uh, with goaltenders as, as we go forward. More of those large athletic goaltenders you were talking about earlier, Darren. 
there's a lot of benefits to your game, uh, to your coordination, uh, to your training. But uh, I keep coming back to, it's just plain old fun. Absolutely. And we'll have some photos soon because uh, we are holding Darren too. I don't know if you got any photos in the plane, but I may have gotten some from my surf trip. So we'll, and we'll, be, we'll run a little fun con- contest uh, asking you where you train with Sensorina here in the, in the coming weeks. It's funny though, the other part, Hutch, all those little things that guys talk about to get ready to play, uh, for those who are in Goal Premium members, you'll notice that we have pro reads now with Alex Nadelkovich. Spent like an hour with him going over video. And one of the things after we'd done the video, we talked about some of the things he'd added to his routine to get prepared to play and some of the training he'd done. And interestingly enough, a lot of the things that he mentioned, because we were talking about Sensorian and he was curious to try it, a lot of the things he'd mentioned that he was already doing as part of his preparation are things that he wasn't aware of are built into Sense Arena on a brain training type module, like things that you can do to train your brain beyond just stopping pucks. So that's an element that I think a lot of times we overlook as much fun as it is, Darren, to stop pucks in weird locations. And boy, have I got some doozies for you guys uh, <laughs> from my surf trip coming. But it's there's other elements to Sense Arena in terms of cognitive training that you can do in that environment as well. Uh, Dylan Ferguson uh, likes to push the uh, boundaries of uh, training as well, and we will get into that uh, a little bit with the uh, champion of the Fort Wayne Comets of the ECHL in our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Really pleased to be welcoming to the podcast for the first time. He's been Ingle Premium members will will know him from some past appearances over there. But first time on the Ingle Radio podcast, ECHL Kelly Cup champion from the Fort Wayne Comets, Dylan Ferguson. You got the he's got the hat on. He's got the championship hat on. How's it going? How's it uh, How's it feel? To- it's going great. Uh, it's great to be on here. I'm happy you guys could have me on. Um, you know, yeah, it's been it's been quite a couple weeks here, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. So let's go let's go straight to the most recent events, the championship. Like it's the goal of every player to have their season end in a win, and yet at each level, only one goalie usually gets to do it. What's it like to be that guy that the the last game of the season ends with the arms raised? Well, I mean, it's it's been almost two weeks now since it's happened. So I've had time to kind of let it settle in. It's, uh, you know, it's something really special. It's something that you can kind of look back on and um, learn from little things along the way to getting to that game. And, um, you know, like you said, it's something not everyone gets to do. So to get that opportunity, and I'm, I'm just grateful to be able to get the win. Well, let's walk me through how this season went, because it was such a unique season for a lot of goaltenders. Obviously, we had Mikey DiPietro on, went out like a calendar year without playing a game. What's the past year, year and a half been like for you? Because we can't even look at a hockey DB anymore and have any sense of what happened because a lot of times guys are on taxi squads, all they're doing is practicing, but we don't even know what level. Hockey DB doesn't tell us that because nobody's getting games played. So what, what's that last year and a half been like for you? Well, I think on the other end of that, I, I feel like I did get to play some games, which is which is huge. Like I think, uh, you know, I was you got to be grateful for every opportunity you get, and it didn't matter for me if I was um, in the AHL, NHL, or East Coast League this year. I was just gonna do the best I could in any league I did, and um, I was fortunate enough to go down in Fort Wayne and play quite a bit of hockey, especially down the playoffs. I played more games in the playoffs than I did during the regular season, so it was. Uh, 
really good opportunity for me and just to be able to play games like you said in a year like this where there's the taxi squad and all these goalies aren't maybe getting the games they want you got to be you got to be pretty thankful for that so okay so you did spend some time in in the AHL um with with Henderson uh went to camp with them got into one game shout out not bad um what so can you can you just sort of walk us through what the season's like the different places you played and some of the different influences you would have bumped across. I mean, obviously our good friend Freddie Brathwaite would have been in Henderson, but I don't know how much time you got with him. How how are some of the different voices and influences that allowed you to sort of get through this year on the ice? Oh, there's there's so many different spots. You know, I was I was on every team in the Vegas organization this year for one point or another. Um, like, you know, I got to go on that outdoor classic trip with Vegas and Colorado against Colorado, and it was uh you know, that's something, again, super special that I'm going to remember for a long time. I was going through my stuff and pulled uh, pulled a couple pieces of clothing from that out of there. And it's pretty cool to see. And um, obviously the voices um, on each team and or, like each organization, everyone was positive. Everyone um, didn't only have belief in myself, but belief in them as well. And, um, you know, a guy like Freddie, I, like you said, I didn't get maybe too much time with him, but we grew a really good relationship. And we've been really throughout the whole year. I'd been talking, same with Mike Rosati in Vegas. We've been talking and you know, it's good. It's good to have guys like that in your corner that are looking out for you and seeing what's going on. And yeah, it's awesome. Is there value? Like you get down to Fort Wayne and as I, correct me if I'm wrong, like you're talking to Freddie, but there's not a boots on the ground goalie coach there to help you. Is there value to that Dylan as a young goalie to sort of, Hey, like, I got to take responsibility for my own game here. Sometimes I, we see goalies and we hear from goalie coaches where it's like, yeah, I, I wish I'd let this guy figure a few things out on his own rather than always looking for me to solve his problems. Was that, do you, do you see value looking back and sort of, you know, having to work through things on your own as tough as it might be at the time? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially in, in a playoff kind of schedule, like we had, you really got to, you know, even if you do have a goalie coach, it's not much they can say when you're playing that many games and that many days. And, um, I think I had like one or two practices the whole playoff series. You had the morning skates. So you just keep going and you don't only um, become stronger and build faith in yourself while doing that, but you teach yourself so many things that maybe, um, maybe in the past you've picked up at a camp with someone like Eli or in, when I was in Henderson with Freddie or in Vegas, you pick up on these things and sometimes you see yourself doing them. It's a little reminder goes off in your head that, okay, you're doing the right thing. Just, just keep it going. Now, do you, do you watch video of yours? Like in that, like you said, you, there's no practice time. You're having to maintain a level. Um, some of it's just going out and playing, but is there a review process? Are you watching film yourself to identify some of those things or do you just try and tune that out and just go play? Yeah, it depends. Um, it really depends for me. Like if I'm, if I'm feeling good in the net and I'm on a bit of a heater, I don't like, I don't like going back and really looking. I just kind of stay in the moment and trust that I'm going to go out there and play and, um, you know, maybe when I don't have the greatest game that I wanted, I'll go on and watch myself play a game where I played really well. And, uh, that just helps me with confidence going into the next one. Uh, when you, when you watch a game where you played really well, what are you looking for? Like, do you, are you just watching save clips? Do you go back and watch a whole game? What does that look like? Cause I think that's, you know, not everybody, I think it's a great comparison for a lot of young goalies. Cause not everybody had like, we talked to all these pros and usually they have goalie coaches with them all the time. But obviously, younger goalies don't have that. So, you know, I'm wondering if there's anything there where you can give them a tip that helps them. Maybe if they're struggling, go watch a game where they played well and feel confidence because, you know, dad can throw a camcorder on yeah. uh, while they're playing, things like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, I think it's essential. And even 
Um, you know, you hear things about like self-affirmations and saying these things to yourself. And I think when you see yourself doing something um, and doing it well, there's, there's power behind that. And um, I, I don't really think it matters how much you watch. You know, for me, it's like if I'm paying attention to it, I'm watching, am I getting my feet set on certain plays and little technical things? I'm not trying to get too deep in it. So I'm thinking about it when the next time I'm on the ice, but it's just picking up on little uh, anchors, I guess you could say that okay, I'm doing this well here. Why didn't I do it here? And then when I give myself the answer, you got to forget about it and move on. Um, because if you're asking yourself those questions in a game, that's where you can uh, go down a slippery, slippery slope pretty quick. Yeah, the paralysis by analysis, right? Once exactly. it starts, you got to go play. Yeah. Well, it, you use the word anchor, so I got to ask. Obviously, I know we, we, our audience that has been over at Ingle Premium would have been introduced to you through some of the Pete Fry clinics and things like that. I know you do some work with him. So, Talk to me about anchors. We had this conversation with Beck Warm earlier in the podcast when you know when he got his AHL debut and his first chance as a pro. What are your anchors? Maybe for those who are hearing that word and not sure what it is, what does it mean to you? An anchor for me is something. It's a, it's a body movement or a series of body movements that get you to your ultimate hype level. That you know you, you feel like. Um, for me personally, it just kind of clears my head and gives myself that that confidence and that belief in myself that you know, I'm going to be able to react and it's, it's a powerful movement. You don't Pete so, so on like being positive and it's, it's all great stuff. And I think when you're doing these anchors, um, it's like, like looking up, like don't be looking down while you're doing them, control your mind to where you say, this is going to help me get to here. And this is where I need to be kind of thing. And one thing that, that Pete's taught us is you can only, you, you can always kind of change your anchor a little bit. If you feel like you do something, I know for myself, I'll do something mid game sometimes and it feels good. And I'm like, okay, I'll kind of, I'll add this into my, into my routine a bit if I can. And, um, you know, I'm always, I'm always looking for different ways to get better and to keep that confidence and the belief. So huge. Can you share what your anchor, like what that physical motion is for you? Or is that personal in terms of your anchor? Oh, I mean, I, everyone can see it when I'm out there. I do it before every, uh, if you want, did you want me to stand up and show you kind of? Uh, sure. I, I wasn't, I, our, our listeners won't know, but, um, oh, okay. I, I, I can share it then. Well, and I, I might have to go back and look through some footage cause I'm sniffing an ingolmag.com article here as well. We're going to double dip on this one. Cause I okay. like this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, you know, I think for me, it's just as soon as, as soon as I, as soon as that whistle is about to go for that face off, I give myself a good hard step out to the top of the crease. You know, I pull my hands apart. Like I'm doing like a, like a T motion with my arms and, kind of hit my gloves together and then like I get down in my stance and as soon as that puck drops I'm I'm in my stance ready to go um I like to be in my stance before before the puck drops because it gives you that feeling of I'm ready before the play's even started kind of thing and you know there's so much that goes into it I'm making it seem kind of simple but it's uh it's pretty cool well I mean you so much that goes into it I mean you mentioned one part there that seems simple but the hard push as opposed to just sort of drifting to where you're getting set I'm guessing there's a reason, and you mentioned the word hype level, there's a reason that it's a hard push as opposed to just finding your spot and settling into it. Yeah, I think when you put power behind anything um, with a good mindset, it's going to give you that little jolt that you need. Or, you know, it's the, when I do something powerfully, it feels like I'm going to play that way. Like if I'm doping around and just lounging around the crease, you know, some guys it works, it works, so it doesn't work for me. And um, so that's, it's always, you're always learning about yourself and teaching yourself new things to find that sweet spot. Now, hype level, um, you know, that obviously that, that powerful movement is part of that. Are there times when you recognize that it's too high? Like, do you, 
maybe again, like not to get too simplistic on it, but define for our audience. Again, there's probably a lot of young goalies that, goalies that hear that and they're like, hmm, like, like what's hype level? And, you know, how can I recognize where mine is and how can I find the ideal one? What was that process like for you? Yeah, it's, um, I kind of thought back to like, just going back to video, like when I played my best, like when I was playing my best, what was I doing? Where was my head at? And, um, how was I motivating myself in that situation? I think, you know, I think for me, um, there's a kind of, there's like a, the spectrum where I can, I can still be good here, but I can be even better here kind of thing, you know? So I'm always trying to figure out that I think you really relate the hype level. And when you find your perfect hype level, I feel like that's when you're in the zone. Um, and when you're in the zone, it's, it's hard to almost like you almost black out and all this. And, um, but I think when, like, when you get a day or two to think back, like, okay, like what got me there, like you can pick up little things. And, um, yeah, I think just self-education when it comes to that's huge. Is there like, when I think of hype level, I think of like an accelerated sensation, like, like I hype makes me think higher. Yeah. We, we all, t- we talk about a lot of sort of go- some goalies, like they're just like, it's all about them being calm and they never look like they're, re- but can that, can there be too calm? Can you be too casual at times? Is that for you has finding that hype level been not being too casual? Like, is it, I guess everybody's different, but sometimes that cool casual can get a little too casual for some guys is, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Not no, hundred percent. It's a hundred percent. It happens to everyone. And I think working with Pete, something that he's taught us and what the anchor helps is getting that hype level back. So it's, it's something that if you feel like you've lost a bit, you know, you can throw off your anchor or um, even some words to yourself. Like I, I have words to myself that I'll like kind of say in my head that get me, help me to get back in that area. Can you share them? Can I share them? Um, you don't have to. No, it's just like, it's like the, the usual, like, like I can do this, like I'm going to do this. And just like, um, you know, I think something else that's huge is staying in the moment. Um, I know I've, I've shared it before, but for me personally, that's, that might be the biggest thing is I, I don't even like looking at the, sh- the clock during periods. Um, it, it doesn't matter to me what, what's on the clock. There's going to be 20 minutes every time and there's going to be whistles in between. And I feel like, um, kind of going back to what Pete does here, when we talk about a flashlight, keeping your flashlight on, on the puck in the play, I feel if you're looking at the clock to wonder how many minutes he got before he got a take your rest and get back in. It takes your mind away and focus away from the game and stopping the puck. And I think uh, that's, that's another huge thing. Well, we talk about not projecting to the future. Like to me, staying in the moment is whether it's professional golfers. And I used to cover some PGA tour, whether it's that or goaltending. It's so important. We know that it's the easiest thing to say and often the hardest thing to do. And I, I love that tip. Like is something as simple as looking and seeing there's, three minutes left in a period automatically takes your mind to the future and we don't want to be in the future. I, I love that tip. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's huge. I mean, kind of toot my own horn here, but in the, in the final game, like uh, with like three minutes left, we took a penalty and I couldn't help, but look, I just couldn't. And it was something that I, I learned from in that moment. And I was like, three minutes left, we're up to one. But after that, like I, just blanked out again. Like I, I didn't want to know what happened. I wasn't focusing on what happened in that end. I was waiting if they, they had a guy cheating on the blue line. And um, so I brought myself back, but I kind of let myself go for a sec. Cause I got a little excited, but yeah, I think, I think it's huge. That reminds me. And you were part of that with Pete and with John Stevenson, that, that initial sort of uh, 
you know, one day seminar that they did, uh, I, one of the things that, that always struck me that John said, it's not about, it's not about when your focus drifts and, or how often it drifts. Cause every, like even the best goalies in the world, their focus drifts. It's about recognizing it and bringing it back. And it sounds like you did exactly that in that moment. Yeah. I think I completely agree with that. I, I think to be able to, you know, bring it back and obviously the faster you can bring it back, the better. Um, but to be able to do that at any, any level is, you know, it's, it's huge. And it, if, if you teach yourself how to do that, it just keeps, keeps boosting that confidence that when you get into a situation where maybe your flashlight isn't on the play at all, or even let's say you're on the bench for a game and you get put in, you know, that you have that switch where you can go in and be like, okay, I can, I can do this. So any other moments like that, that, that's a pretty big moment to me, like it, like both as a positive because you, you brought it back and a learning moment, as you said, because you let it drift to look at the clock. I think that would be human nature. Yeah. Um, but any other along like where, I mean, there must be throughout the season, but even in the playoff run where there was like this defining moment of whether it was affirmation or something in your game that, that you've been working on that just clicked, anything else that jumps out from that playoff run? In my head, I'm thinking about the Allen series where we went in there and you know, I, I played game one, we lost game one, I go into game two and they're up four nothing going into the third period or four one. And I, I didn't play the third. My coach said he's going to arrest me. And um, we, we go in and we win five, four in overtime. And I think that that point, you know, I, I wasn't in the net, but just to, you know, there's, I'm going to go back to the, the learning lessons and education. Like when you're doing these things, I think that's the TSN turning point of the playoffs for us as a team, even though we had a great series before that, where, you know, you're up four, you're down four, one with the team with 20 minutes left and they're sold out barn and you can come back and do that. It's, it's unbelievable. Right. And um, I think just holding on to things like that and remembering how those, those things make you feel and that, that the, the belief that you get from that is huge. Okay. So that's a moment though. That's a positive as a team turning. Yeah. You're not in the net for it. How did you, how do you, like, uh, to me, that's a positive for you that you viewed, that you're viewing it as a positive. I think a lot of guys might have been like, oh, if I'd stayed in the net, I could have got the win too. You're not looking at it like that at all. And I, I'm jealous of that. I'm not sure everybody else could find yeah. the positive moment there. How, you know, how do you come to that? How, do, how are you able to view it that way? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a team game. Like, there's going to be nights that maybe don't go your way. And um, I think in a playoff series like that, and just like the whole 13 games we played, if you start thinking that this should have been my game, the next one's right around the corner and you're still thinking about that and it's, uh, it's just unhealthy. So I think it's just being able to keep it there and to have the, uh, just the mindset to be able to let that go and move on and let it improve you is huge. And, and you're back in the next game. How, how do you reset after that? Like you're, you're appreciating the positive. There's a lot, there'd be a lot of hype around that game. The team would be hyped. There'd be a higher hype level. How do you reset? Like, Hey, I didn't finish that game. We've had this moment. Boom. I'm going to be back in and ready to be the guy. Well, I think right away I was excited to get back in Fort Wayne and play in front of that crowd. Um, I think that that was something right away that I thought of. And, uh, you know, when you have a crowd like that behind you and even in that game, when a team, when your team comes back from a four goal depth, three goal deficit and wins in overtime, you know, it's, huge for the team i can't i can't let anything personal get in the way of that right so it's um really from there we just kind of had this belief that we were going to do great things as a team and we did nice now okay 
go back to the outdoor game for me because I forgot that you were there. You've yeah. also had to, you've been around Flower, you've been around Robin yeah. um, as part of camps and things like that. And we had Logan Thompson on, hell of, a, hell of an AHL season for him this year. You've spent some time with him. What lessons do you take away from Flower? And the good news is here that you can publicly share the strobe glass story now because he's, he's talked about it publicly. What, what are some of the take he has? So what are some of the things you take away from, I mean, this guy's headed to the Hall of Fame. Um, he's passing and, and you've had to, you've gotten a chance to be around him. What kind of things, even in that environment, an outdoor game with all that focus and spotlight, as you're part of that group watching these activities, what lessons are you learning as a young goaltender from seeing those guys in action? Well, like you said, the guy's a Hall of Famer. He's someone that you're always going to look up to. It doesn't really matter who you are, right? And um, to get that opportunity to be on the ice with him outdoors, and it was unbelievable. And he's someone that from day one in my camp, just he's always having fun. You know, he, he works so hard, um, but he's always having fun while he's doing it. You know, everyone knows him as the prankster and he's doing all this and that around. And, you know, even you see the videos before they go out in the playoff game and guys are hiding their stick and, they're hiding a stick and all this stuff. You know, I think he, he has a very good grasp of like having fun and being able to turn on that focus when it gets into that game. And I think that's, that's something that's huge because you got to love what you're doing. And I think sometimes if um, you're too hard on yourself, it can start wearing yourself down um, and get yourself in your head. And I think if you just kind of, that's the biggest thing I've, I've learned from flower is you just got to believe in yourself for one, but have fun doing it too and enjoy the ride. Because he's a guy that obviously has been, he's seen everything in his career. And um, the respect that, that comes out of that, you got you to gotta look at that and just soak it all in. Now, you're, you're obviously not going to go out and try and play like Flower. Every goalie <laughs> is different. Even Robin and, I mean, Robin and, and, and Marc-Andre couldn't be more different as goaltenders, right? Like, everybody plays different ways. Is there anything you've taken away from those guys when you watch them? Is there any elements you take away and say, hey, that might work in my game? While they're playing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, while it's playing is tough because like you do things in the moment, right? You don't really have the 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 time to think about it. But um I think like obviously you want to get those pad stack poke checks every now and then and seeing Flower do those things and obviously the windmills and um those are always nice to get. But I think while you're watching them, it's you know, you watch them in practice. I feel like it's the same with with most goalies. You watch them in practice and you watch them in a game they're going to do things in a game that they maybe sometimes won't do in a practice just because it's a game right and you're going to really sacrifice anything to make that save so you know i think for the games the thing i'll take away is just the the compete on the puck i think is is the biggest thing for both those guys who are always competing and trying to find it and make ways to make the save now have you tried the synaptic goggles before or i don't even know if it's synaptic but the strobe type goggles as a warm up before and this is a good segue, because even if you haven't, I know you've done some work with Josh Tucker. You have done some work on the eyes of late. I have. I've, I've threw them on just because I had to throw them on. I haven't done any stuff with them. But my goalie partner um, who got injured this year in uh, Fort Wayne, Robbie Baydoon, he does do them. So I kind of got to see that firsthand through him, too, and try them out there. And obviously, I've seen Flowery. As a warm-up, too? Like, as an actual, like, Yeah, he does game? it as a warm-up, too. So he, he does oh. kind of similar things. You know, Flower, it's... Since he's talked about it, I'll talk about what I saw. But like, it, it's hilarious. You know, they're throwing them at him, and he, he's blind, and he's trying to catch him. He doesn't catch them all, and then he goes out and pitches a forty-five save shutout or something crazy. So it's like you see this guy, and he's he's missing tennis balls from five feet away from him, and he goes out and plays. It's phenomenal, and it's, uh, yeah, it's unique. 
you know, for you, like I know you're kind of a no stones on turn guy. You're looking for different ways and new things. How'd you come across Josh Tucker, who who we've done some work with as well and his true focus vision? And what are the kind of things that you've worked on with him um, from a vision standpoint or from a training standpoint? Yeah, no, I mean, Josh is great. I, I got introduced to Josh through uh, my buddy, Jack LaFontaine. Um, and we, uh, he kind of brought it up to me and I saw him doing it. And I just said like, what's this all about? And I added, added a little meeting with them and I thought it'd be a good investment in myself to do. And it was something I did before, uh, the night before every game, um, that kind of helped me dial my eyes in a bit of convergence and divergence and this kind of thing. Hold on. And so Jack LaFontaine, I, I didn't realize that you guys had, we had him on the pod recently. Yeah. Um, you would you would have been busy playing in the ECHL. You would have been in the playoffs as that was happening. So I'll forgive you for not knowing that. I didn't no know your guys' history there. He shared us. He shared with us some of the uh, journaling that he does. Some of the the way he writes things down. Is that a, anything you've ever tried? Or it's actually something I did a lot of this year. Um, okay. I did a lot of journaling, a lot of uh, self journaling. Um, it kind of started. I was what what I can do to learn and um, little things every day, and then it kind of turned into like. Uh, like an affirmation thing pretty quick. So it kind of went from that to that. And I seem to like that more when you're, when you're writing things down and reading them to yourself, I feel like there's, there's more power behind that than just saying them in your head. So it was, uh, something I liked and I would, I'd, I'd talk about the game and the good things about the game and then write affirmations down. So it was, it was cool. Is that something you'd ever done before? And, and it would, obviously something it sounds like you'd probably recommend for young goalies. We've seen it over the years. We've seen, I know when Corey Hirsch was a goalie coach in St. Louis, he used to encourage guys like Jake Allen to do it. I just hadn't heard about it for a few years, but it sounds like something that a lot of guys are, you know, maybe it's a pandemic thing. You got more spare time and this is a way to channel it in a positive way, that that extra time in your hotel room, because I'm guessing there's been a lot of it. Yeah, there is. There's definitely a lot of extra time throughout the season. And, um, you know, I think obviously for young kids, I think it's huge. If you start giving yourself those those good affirmations that you're telling yourself you can do this and you can do that and this is my dream and I'm going to achieve it. It's, it's huge for anyone at any age. I think if you just keep telling yourself the same thing every day, you're going to, you're going to believe it sooner or later. And, um, don't want to get too deep into it, but like the subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between, um, reality and false reality. Right. So when you, when you give it that, and, um, when you give it words like that, that's, that's what it turns to. And, uh, you really start feeling good about not only your game, but you, you as a person as well. Sounds like your journaling was mostly based on mental stuff. Did you keep, I know Jack's got, you kind of separates them. He's got one for the mental side of things that he keeps private and then one for like drills, techniques, anything, all kinds of different things. Do you keep track of those things that way or that just more of the mental side? Yeah, I'm more on the mental side. Honestly, you know, I, I think it's huge. Um, I've done, I do like uh, some post game stuff with Pete sometimes where we'll go and talk and uh, talk about my hype level throughout the game and what can we change to keep it better for next game and then just kind of let it go and um as you would say the subconscious knows what it's doing so nice now where is that what's the rest of your uh what's the rest of the summer look like like what uh, i mean it's kind of a late finish to a season for guys that played as long as you did uh, it feels like we should be ramping up for training camp and yet you're just now taking a breath what uh how do you sort of transition into next year yeah, it's, you know, I had, I've definitely had some voices um, that I, and the message across the board is just take the rest that you need and then get back after it. Um, you know, I think I'm approaching like two weeks or something now since the last game. And um, this week coming up was, was a week that I wanted to get back in the gym. And then the week after that, I started getting on some ice again. 
And, uh, you know, I think, I don't even know when, when camp's going to be this year yet, but I know it's right around the corner and it's like a quarter of the time that we had, uh, through that pandemic off season. So, you know, it's, it's a quick turnaround, but I'm, I'm already looking forward to it. Does a, does a finish like that and raising the, the cup, does that make it Makes easier it easy, to yeah. get, yeah, 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 to get back in the gym? It's, uh, it's unreal. I mean, you're, every time I look at the videos on my phone, I still get chills. Like, I can't help it. I can't even start them without getting them. It's um, pretty special. But I think when you, when you are able to have something like that happen and you get, get into the offseason, it, you know, it pushes you to just keep going from there. And it's, uh, it's definitely a good stepping stone. Is it important to find that balance though too? Because I know you've, I mean, you live, you live on Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island's home. So there's, a, there's, there's not many, as a guy who just got back from Tofino, there's not many places that are better to sort of find that island time chill as well. So are you able, is it important to keep that balance? It is. I think, I think it's huge. I'm, I'm currently actually living in Vancouver. I'm on the island for a week here, just okay. um, friends and family. But, hey, uh, listen, let's be honest. Vancouver, Vancouver Island, it's Shangri-La. Either way, best place much, in the yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, it's part of the world. I think it's, it's huge just to be able to, you know, have that time with your friends, kind of lay back, let the body, let the mind recover as well. It's, it's also very important. Um, not get away from it, but just kind of, you know, live, live a normal life for a week or two and then kind of get back into the athlete mindset. And I think that's uh, it's very healthy for, again, anyone young or anything to, to do that are you gonna do some gear testing for us again in the near future we, we, we gotta get some new stuff in here how was i gotta say you tried access for us and then you ended up in eflux 5 what as a i gotta finish a review here help me out what do you love what do you like about the eflux 5 no i i really like the access i just kind of went to what i know what i knew and um you know it was it was a big year for me this year um and i wanted i didn't want to change too much I i was comfortable with my gear so I got nothing against the access pads. They, they were awesome. I felt like they slid really well. I really like the glove. Um, it's something I'd try again for sure. And then what about the E-Flex 5s? Yeah, give me, help me out here. I'm, I'm trying to finish up a review and I haven't gotten gear on the ice. My one set of pads lasted me throughout the year and more. I mean, they, they were great. They didn't really break down. I know my, my E-Flex... Yeah, one. one? Wow, yeah. one set. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. even, even, I mean, especially with like, I mean, by the time, again, not everybody played a bunch, but by the time you added your playoffs, you're into, you know, I'm looking, you're like, you're close to 30 games there. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I had two gloves and I had to make it work, keep my practice, up practice game for game. And, um, but I, I really enjoyed the gear. The, the pads really held up nicely and well. And, um, I had no complaints. Well, now you got to hit up your buddy Jack LaFontaine and ask him about the the, the new Axis pads that he's got access to. So you can yeah, you know, sneak, sneak a couple reps in with those and see how you like them. Um, listen, Dylan, this has been awesome. I really appreciate it. I actually wanted to get in a little more junior and uh, some of the path to there, but this has been so good. So many good tips now. I don't want to keep you for, for too long. I guess, how about we just uh, we'll leave the old stuff and we'll keep that for part two down the road. Let's it's do an it. excuse. Excuse to have you back on later. Exactly. I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. Awesome, Dylan. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you, guys. I've had the chance to talk to uh, Dylan a couple of times through my role with the Vegas Golden Knights. And one of the things that, uh, that we've talked about on every occasion is this new adaptation that he does in game management of not looking at the clock and i'm not sure how many guys 
do that. And it almost sounds like it's a bit of a superstition uh, slash uh, uh, ritual, uh, or is it just about uh, keeping your your focus uh, a little bit of all of it under one umbrella? Well, I mean, we all talk about staying in the moment, right? It's the easiest thing today to do to say, sorry, easiest thing to say, easy for me to say, and the hardest thing to do. Um, and it, it, as soon as you look at up at a clock, you're projecting into the future. There's this much left. You're thinking about the end and how much time left to get. You take yourself out of the present. I'd never thought of it that way, but it makes a ton of sense. All the work and training we do to stay in the moment. And as soon as you glance up and start thinking about the future, you've taken yourself out of it. And, but as I said too, in the interview with Dylan, like, you know, John Stevenson used to tell us everybody loses that focus in the moment. It's about being, learning to recognize when you do so you can pull it back. And, you know, so even when he did sneak a peek late in the championship game, he brought himself right back. So I think that's a credit to him. And, you know, just one of those little, you know, that's a small thing that for, maybe not for everyone, but for some other goalies that hear that and maybe try it, maybe that's the difference between them being able to stay in the moment the next time they go out and play a game, whether it's minor hockey, minor pro or beer league, and losing that focus and thinking about how much time is left. What a year for the Golden Knights organization, though. Uh, Ferguson, uh, ECHL champion, Logan Thompson, goaltender of the year uh, in the American Hockey League and the Besson Trophy winner with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, it's in an organization where you might get discouraged, uh, Dylan Ferguson is on a real high right now, having not just survived, but thrived during this pandemic season. Hutch. Yeah, he absolutely did thrive this season. And and the one thing that uh, when, when you bring him back for another interview, Woody, that I would love to ask him about is what has he changed in his game over the last year? Um, how has he taken it to the, to this new level? Um, I, I know one of the things that he's worked on, um, full credit to his coaches in the Vegas system, uh, as he himself mentioned, uh, I've been on the ice with him in, um, on Vancouver Island, where he spends a little time training with, uh, coach James Gartner, who works with my son a bit too. And I know he's really tried to simplify that game. Uh, he was in that mold of Marc-Andre Fleury in, in many ways, that he is an incredible athlete and that the things that he can do around the crease are unlike a lot of other goaltenders, uh, obviously. But I know he's tried to pull that game in a little bit and be a tiny bit more conservative, although maintaining all those talents he has. Uh, I would have loved to hear a little bit more about that and see how his game has evolved over the years. Um, but yeah, an, an incredible um, performance by Dylan and as stacked as that Vegas organization is, I think it's only going to open up more opportunities for him as well uh, in this season of change. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where where he fits next in the organization as a result of this fantastic work. But surely he's moving on to new levels. Looking forward to it. Uh, and I cannot wait to, to see how it uh, shakes down with the development of uh, Dylan Ferguson, Logan Thompson, and the present uh, with Marc-Andre Fleury. Listen, guys, it's getting late over here on the other side of the world. But is like, is there anything yeah. you want to know about what happens tomorrow? Because you're, I, I'm in tomorrow right now, and you guys are in yesterday. What What do you also, want? Also, if you got you, the protection list already, <laughs> yes, I have. I have everything right now. I can I can tell you, but yeah, my yeah. Wi-Fi is about to to run out. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Can you believe we're doing this, Tokyo, Edmonton, and Surrey? 
Crazy. I always say white. I always say white rock because white rock's not having to say okay, history. White inside I, joke. I, I like nobody outside too. the lower mainland would even get. So <laughs> well, those of you listening on, on the floor way. in Tokyo will not know what white, white rock is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, say goodbye to everybody uh, on the eleventh floor. You two. Uh, Bye, goodbye, everyone. Tokyo. Uh, good night, Tokyo. <laughs> Enjoy the Olympics. We're looking forward to uh, watching along with you. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching water polo and see what the goaltenders can do because uh, they don't have uh, they're, they're they're not untucked or tucked or anything there. They just got the cap and the uh, and the the bathing suit on in in water polo. They do water polo goaltenders wear red hats and they're either numbers one or thirteen. There's no different uh, oh, numbers oh, going oh, on there hold on i need to know now this is your this is your in goal mission on assignment in tokyo i know you've got more important things to do but i need to know nope. why on the on the number because there's 13 players on a roster and they, they go one to 13 and the goaltenders are are bookended but and I don't why know. why would you red, like red cap like the red light goes off for us goaltenders why why are we advertising that Different because rules? they need to know the goaltenders are the only person that allowed to use two hands in the ball everybody else can only use one hand on the ball uh so they need to know uh be able to identify because the officials are on the side of the pool they're not actually right in there so splashing around <laughs> listen well, in a couple of weeks i'll be able to tell you like everything about this thing but that's that's the extent of my knowledge right now. But I can't so, believe how far out of the water the goaltenders can get. Well, I saw you got a response actually from a shout out to uh, the the godfather of Swedish goaltending, Thomas Magnuson, talking about looking forward to the water polo to one of your tweets because talking about how much they have angle they have to cover both vertically and horizontally. It was awesome. Yeah. Pecorini, if he needs uh, something to keep him busy, that dude could fall. Uh, cover a lot of uh, he could. Uh, wingspan there. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate it. With uh, Dylan Ferguson coming into it with our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, and of course Cam, uh, the great Cam Matwood over at uh, Source for Sports, the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com from Tokyo, Edmonton, and White Rock. Uh, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast.